The mirror reflects all things without being sullied. Confucius. I'm your host, Nag Loki Shivanath, and this is The Door in the Looking Glass. Welcome back to another episode of The Door in the Looking Glass. In case you haven't already picked up on it, I'm not feeling too well. I've put recording this off as long as possible to try and recover, and, well, I I couldn't wait any longer. Uh, So this episode may not be as long as I might have preferred, but I'm still going to get into what I promised to get into this week, which is Tantra. Now... Most of the Western world uh, believe that Tantra or Tantra has something to do with sex, or they think it's some sort of Hindu religion. This is not entirely inaccurate on either point, but it is not complete either. Uh, How sex and Tantra got equated is beyond me. Sex can play. A, a small role in Tantra, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And Tantra is not a religion so much as it is a very open-ended spiritual path. Uh, it's more it's more a collection of tribal religions that predates Hindu itself. Uh, it was, it's widely considered to be the forerunner of Hindu without a singular solidified belief system, instead focusing on uh, different tribal interpretations. Um, you know, Hindu itself has multiple sacred scriptures like the Vedas, the Pradas, the Sutras, the Puranas, and so on, but Tantrikas, practic- practitioners of Tantra, typically begin with the tantras themselves, which are another set of of sacred texts, um, and this is this is part of why the Western world has such an issue with tantra, uh, with understanding it, anyways, is because many of these tantras haven't actually been translated; they're still in the original Sanskrit, uh, and it's it's an older version of Sanskrit, so it's harder to translate. So there's very few English translations of the tantras. So typically, you're Western gurus who talk you into some sort of weird sex cult aren't actually practicing Tantra at all. They're just, you know, sort of playing a part. Um, Now, the Bhagavad Gita is considered by many to be a bridge between the older Tantras and the newer Vedas, um, but it's, you know, it's sort of a, a bridge more than an actual Tantra. It's still, still a valuable text, you know, but, uh, it's not a tantra itself. Um, as far as sex is concerned, yes, sex does make up roughly 5% of actual tantric practice. Um, but there's versions of tantra that exclude sex entirely. Uh, there's typically considered to be two branches of tantra. Red tantra includes sexual practice, and white tantra uh, is, is more or less celibate. Um, 
But the word Tantra itself means liberation or expansion. And the idea is very similar to the idea of Samadhi or Moksha, Nirvana or Enlightenment, which is expansion of the consciousness to enjoy the universe. Now, there are many ways that Tantricas accomplish this, uh, including sex is, is, you know, one of the ways that we get in there. Uh, no pun intended. But uh, we also achieve this through meditation, breathwork, yoga, mantra, mudra, and yantra worship. Uh, Tantra also contains the ideas of karma, dharma, and kundalini. Um, and those are some some misunderstood words, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, those are... That, that is the rough contents of Tantra. But <clears throat> to actually be considered a true tantric practice you require two things that is first to receive tantric initiation or diksha from a guru who obviously has been properly initiated themselves and you are you are supposed to receive a mantra that is specific to your you know your apprentice relationship to the guru uh, i myself possessed an apprentice mantra of my own guru and have received uh, diksha from him as well. Um, the Tantra makes up a large portion of my practice, but it's not the largest. However, Tantra is possibly the most structured of my practices. So I like to, uh, I like to get very detailed about it. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, I don't intend for this to teach you how to be a tantrika, or even convince you to join a tantric group. Um, you know, since this is still more or less the introduction to my many practices, um, this is this is just going to be a kind of a, an overview of my practice of tantra, um, and where we're going to cover some of the the practices that I make use of in my work uh, but I'm not going to delve into some specific you know practices per se some of this is because of oaths of secrecy and the others because I simply just don't feel well <laughs> um, so moving on in Tantra we practice meditation now, meditation should be included in all mystic practice. Um, it should be the foundation of all mystic practice. But it's specifically important in Tantra because meditation is the basis of most of the other things that we implement. Uh, and the idea behind meditation is that through communion with our gods and goddesses, uh, as well as through our ascended gurus who've come before us and even the, the consciousness of our living guru, we break what we call the three addictions, um, which are the addiction to food, the addiction to sleep, and the addiction to sex. And again, I'm not going to get into what all that means, just suffice to say that meditation is how we get rid of those. Uh, meditation also makes work of, makes use of breath work, um, primarily to control uh, the flow of energy in the body, although there are some specific uh, spiritual connections that require specific breath work um, 
We'll also make use of different uh, asanas from yoga uh, in order to align energies for a specific purpose or just to, you know, get flexible, get healthy. We make use of mantras in Tantra. Um, there are some rhyming words in here that, that kind of mess me up, so just just, just bear with me. Um, the idea of mantras is that alone they are a phrase. They're just words. Once enlivened through initiation, or in this, the case of some mantras that are open for anyone to use, the recitation of that mantra brings power. And then once you have achieved mantra, mantra siji, which is a, a specific number of recitations of that mantra for your lifetime, that power becomes yours forever and thus becomes yours to pass on. Uh, and there are different, you know, there are different reasons one might seek mantra siji. Um, generally speaking, it is desirable to obtain complete siji of the uh, guru mantra that you are given so that you can in turn gain your own guru mantra to pass on to your own students in the future. Um, there are other mantras that are said to grant you know amazing powers upon obtaining siji um, and then there are some that are just you know great to have. Um, now we also make use of mudra. The mudra are hand signs Anyone familiar with Naruto has seen these hand signs used. Um, similarly, anyone who's familiar with the Japanese art of Kuji-in or Kuji-kiri knows these hand signs. Um, but mudras are also practiced by tantrikas and uh, Hindus. Now, the, the idea behind a mudra, behind a hand sign, is that your hands are essentially microcosms of your body. Yoga asanas align specific channels in your body a certain way, just like hand signs align these channels in your hands. I mean, you can use these mudras for spell work or for inner strength and empowerment or to seek enlightenment or whatever. There's mudras for all sorts of things. Um, but the ultimate idea is that you are specifically coordinating your energetic channels a certain way for a certain purpose. The yantras, yantras are an extremely important part of Tantra, at least in my practice. Uh, they are said to be the physical geometrical representations of the deities. Um, they're often, you know, you, you'd probably recognize them if you saw them, but they look like, uh, like flowers of different petals with different shapes inside of them, surrounded generally by a square. Um, and there's a whole breakdown of what a yantra actually represents. I'm not going to go into that, but uh, they are the points of focus for our, our religious services. We call them a puja. And during these, we feed the yantra and anoint it and offer mantras and prayers and whatnot. And uh, it's a very intense spiritual experience. <coughs> Excuse me. We, uh, we won't be here much longer. I can't, I can't do this for a while. Um, now, karma. The West drives me nuts because the West does not understand karma. Karma is not, oh, you did a bad thing, so a bad thing's going to happen. That's not how it works. Karma is more like a vibration that you put out to the universe. It's life lessons that you need to learn, you know, 
cutting somebody off in traffic is not going to get you bad karma. However, making a habit of cutting people off in traffic probably going to net you a little bit of bad karma along the way. It's a lesson you'll have to understand eventually. Um, and karma goes hand in hand with dharma. Dharma is more like a life map. Dharma is how you overcome your karma. So if, if dharma shows you how to get from A to Z, karma is what you're going to encounter between A to Z. And the concepts of karma and dharma together uh, are often used by people to justify uh, individuals like uh, Adolf Hitler. And they say that, you know, Hitler had some sort of, of, of purpose. He was, he was someone's karma and he had to be here for this. I don't necessarily ascribe to that belief. I think you're in charge of your own destiny and he just made some really messed up choices, but you know, I guess it depends on how dogmatic you are. Me personally, I look at the ideas of karma and dharma as great ideas, but things that as magicians we can typically uh, overcome. Now, Kundalini. This is one that also gets misunderstood. Um, I hear the term Kundalini awakening. Uh, misused so much it literally drives me insane. Um, Kundalini is considered to be the fiery serpent of power that waits at the base of our spine. Um, in tantric lore, in tantric mythology, humanity was created when the Naga and the serpent people mated with apes. The product of this union were humans, and the idea behind this is that we are like apes that carry the divine spark in the form of kundalini, the, the, the seed of the, of the naga. Again, that's, you know, if you believe it, cool. If you don't, cool. That's mythology for you. Um, now, through, in Tantra, we seek to awaken our kundalini through breath work and meditation. As we do so, we raise this mystical energy through our body, which in turn uh, raises our own mystical power. So, those are some rather broad terms for what it is that I do. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, as to what I actually do, like a personal practice and all, um, I am a devotee of Mahakali. Excuse me. Tuesday evenings and the times of the new moon are sacred times for me, among a few others. On these days, I hold special pujas for Mahakali. Um, I recite a thousand and eight mantras on these days. I give my uh, butter lamp and my incenses and my, my candied offerings and things like that. Um, and I, I have my devotional. But... Uh, it's 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 an intense experience like honestly um, other days I wear my Narmoon Mala or my Siji Mala depending on how I'm feeling that day um, I had a Makali Yantra I wore around my neck but it was silver plated with gold and the gold wore off and I apparently have a severe silver allergy so I can no longer wear it um, 
I need to get another one. Yeah, I make it a point to perform mudra meditations and breathwork meditations uh, and otherwise work through my shamanic training because the, the branch of Tantra I'm initiated into is specifically shamanic. It deals largely with, with bouncing between this world and the next and intercessing between spirits and humanity, that sort of thing. So a lot of my Tantra is more inwardly focused, uh, but I still... You know, I still make it a point to carry out the more physical aspects of my practice as well. Um, now, the reason this goes hand in hand with my necromancy practice is because my particular branch of tantra is focused a lot on dealing with the graveyards and human ashes. Uh, because of our devotion to Mahakali, we deal a lot with the transition from life to death and back again. Um, so I find that it goes hand in hand very well with my primary practice um, because it, it, it takes that necromantic current and gives it a bit more structure, albeit in a specific tradition, but you know, still, still pretty amazing. <coughs> now while I would love to ramble on a bit about uh, the joys of tantric practice, as I said, I'm not feeling too well. So I'm going to go ahead and call this one here. Um, we will have another episode on Tantra eventually. Um, maybe one I can go a little bit more in depth. Uh, and maybe I can even get the head of my order on here for an interview. But he's kind of a recluse, so I doubt it. Um, not sure what we'll cover next time. We might just dive right into some, some green witchery and talk about some potions and oils and whatnot. Um, or, I, I don't know, we could go into some current events because as we're sitting here recording right now, I keep nervously looking over at the 2020 United States of America presidential election results. Now, I try to be as non-political as possible, but you know, elections are important. So we may touch on some current events, depending on how things play out. We'll just play it by ear, see what happens. Thank you all for listening, and I wish you a wonderful evening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Door and the Looking Glass. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends about us. We'd be happy to have them on board, and we'd love to hear your feedback on uh, what you think of our episode. Thank you.